0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the
1: Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Eileen O'Grady. How are you today? We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Great
2: to be here. I love your work, Wendy. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So let's just start off by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. So I've been wanting to be a nurse since I was 11 and, you know, was working as an RN at 19 um, and, you know, have um, a doctorate in nursing, a master's of public health and a master's in nursing. So I like to think that, you know, my education was my favorite mistake, and I'm always telling people, um, like, you know, to go. You know, it's great to be educated, but to sort of go straight through, like, just the, the quickest, easiest way possible. When you look at other professions, you know, like a law degree, it's it's undergrad three years, and in nursing, we tend to just, you know, go on and on and make it a long process. So, um, my favorite mistake is all the education I have. I'm a nurse practitioner. I have been since I was about 22. And, um, you know, just working in primary care, Wendy, I just found that, you know, my only tool was a hammer and everybody was coming in and what was making them sick was what they were doing in between office visits, you know, on the couch, <laughs> what's on their fork, whatever it was. And I just felt like I couldn't I couldn't keep writing these prescriptions. It didn't feel right to me. So um, at midlife, I had a big crisis and um, re- b- rebuilt my life really from, from the bottom up. And I held on firmly. And at, at my core, I am a nurse practitioner. I'm I'm a nurse. That's who I am. That's how I approach things. Um, but I did go back and become a certified coach. And that, that really changed, gave me a lot more skills and tools to talk to people in a different way. So I run the School of Wellness, where we work with people to overcome self-defeating behaviors. We go into lots of organizations, especially healthcare, and talk about um, creating a culture of wellness and how can we not get sick while we're providing care to people, you know, because people are in crisis right now.
1: This is such a, a great time to be doing the work that we're doing, right? That we do very similar work, which is, you know, there's enough work out there for everyone, just especially. With the nursing shortage crisis, and, and healthcare professionals in general are in crisis, especially with you know COVID nineteen. And I always say this: it's not new, right? Stress, burnout, not taking care of ourselves. Um, it's not new; it's just amplified now because you know now we have this other threat, which is you know the pandemic. And now it's televised and meteorized, so everyone's aware of it now. But you and I, like many of our listeners, have experienced it for years.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I the sclerotic and ossified healthcare system that is not nimble, and and there's not a real eye towards the well-being of the health workforce. So, luckily, maybe we could do a rebuild and and think about how do we work in these systems um, in a more humane way and treat people and more humanely that are working in them.
1: Yeah, and and, and I want to unpack that a little more. Where do you think we would start with something like that, restructuring the healthcare system?
2: Well, you know, because I um I often work with the the, the you know C-suite, the people in charge, but I, I really think it starts with our own ourselves and how we go about and, and, and carry ourselves. Like we have a lot of agency that I think we leave on the table about our own self-care and, I, and people, I don't want anyone to roll their eyes when you hear this, but, but I think we have to uh, really take command and control of the things we have uh, control over, which is how we treat our bodies, um, what we let in. And that means media people, you know, energy of other people, what we let out, how we show up, you know, Um, So I I like to think of bedrock behaviors as these things that we do almost on the daily that we're not negotiating with anybody about, but particularly ourselves, you know, built on a foundation of sleep. Are we moving our bodies in a way that nourishes our, our, you know, our human bodies need to move? Um, Are we eating real food? Do we have good social contacts? You know, are we doing some kind of brain health activity like brief meditation prayer whatever it is to get quiet and still so we can we can access our wisdom so when we're not doing these things i mean there's no wisdom in it and and we're not you know we don't you, you can't give what you don't have so i think it really starts with, if we want to create a culture of wellness on our healthcare team it starts with how we show up are we fed watered and rested and are we asking about the well-being of our teammates you know or are we are we in a gossip culture are we taking other people down are we showing some caring concern to other people as well? Because we can't, we can't give it if we don't have it ourselves.
1: Yeah. And I always challenge healthcare leaders to assess stress, wellness, or mental health of their employees. Which is not something that is on your goals and objectives that you do on a quarterly basis, right? So I just received the email, you know, to do my GNOs. There's nothing on there about wellness. There's nothing on there about mental health, but especially our healthcare providers um, at the bedside during this time. Who's assessing their well-being? Right. So so we know self-care is one thing, right? But I think it's a responsibility of healthcare leaders also, because you're just as good as your team. If your team is stressed, burned out, and we both know that uh, having a healthcare team that is stressed and burned out leads to um, safety issues, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Med errors, even death, there's research on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's important that we take ownership as healthcare leaders to assess our people and Mm -hmm. also have the resources for them. So I know many institutions have wellness programs, They have different things they're doing, but it's like one and done, or, oh, you just have to schedule this appointment, but it has to be a daily thing we are talking about and addressing and normalizing. PTSD is on the rise, yeah, as you know, Um, and I think I was just sharing with you before we started this interview, I've been sick for uh, probably a little over a week, and laying in my bed, all I could think about is that self-care is important because of this time right now being in the bed by myself and can't, I can't get up. I can't align with my purpose. I can't have impact because my health, right? So health and self-care, I, I want to call it like health care, right? Self-care, it, it all aligns, but I think sometimes it's so hard for us to see that when we're well, when things are going really good, right? So yeah. how do we, how do we help healthcare providers? see the importance of health care. Self-care is really the foundation to health care. Because, you know, I think everyone kind of poo-poo self-care, right? Everybody's talking about self-care, wellness, but it is a thing. It's a real thing that is needed. But how do you think we can change the language so it really infiltrates the individuals who need to practice it?
2: Yeah, well, I think we could take our cues from Simone Biles. I mean, look what she did to protect her health. She said no, and maybe we need to say no more. Um, th- that's for sure. And we can we get to design our life. Like we went into nursing so that we could accompany people through difficult experiences at, at the core, but we we stepped forward and said, yes, I want to do this. Most people don't sign up for that. <laughs> you know, so we are uh, made made special and, and have have this unique um, ability to bring science and caring and, and join the, the two together and so that that culture of like we just keep working until we drop I mean that's part of our educational process. so my dream Wendy would be to get a hold of PE class in K through 12 and actually completely revamp that and start teaching the tenets of positive psychology. And um, how do we actually form habits? What is the science? And and keep have students keep journals and learn how to design their ideal life so that they don't host a chronic illness. So we didn't go into healthcare to help other people uh, to to get sick and to be sicker than the general population. And as you said, it's the real tragedy here is that our health status has always been worse than the general population, higher levels of stress and obesity and. All of those things that I think I, that should be flipped completely. So it just starts with command and control of ourselves and what we are doing um, and what we're going to say no to, what we're going to say yes to and, and how we show up. And, and if you're in a situation where you can't get those basic physical needs met for whatever reason, you know, working crazy hours or whatever that is, you can say no. You might need to look for a different position so that you don't get sick doing this job that we have to protect ourselves first. So that's first and foremost.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing I work with, the nurses who I work with in a nurse wellness mentorship, I work with them on really feeling empowered. Because I think when you're stressed, you're burnt out, you lose that sense of power and nurses are so powerful. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do the work that I do is because I know how powerful nurses are. I know the changes they can make. I know the impact they can have. But when you're stressed and you're burnt out, you're not performing at your optimal level, right? So people always say, what do nurses want? Ask them. <laughs> they'll tell you and they'll give you the plan and the roadmap, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I like what you're saying about going back to, you know, even elementary school and, and you know, talking to those kids and instilling it there. Because even for me now, I'm in the nursing school, like schools of nursing talking about this. Um, you know, as you know, we're in crisis and we don't really have the infrastructure to support these new nurses coming out.
2: Yeah. And and also like when we see somebody, you know, we've noticed an uptick in incivility out in public, right? We Mm -hmm. all have certainly in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so when we see somebody discharging their distress onto other people, because that's basically what it is, uh, you know, we can learn to not match them. Actually, it's they're in distress and we can be much more skillful about how what's going on with this person instead of matching them and that that's what's sort of happening because we are so depleted. So if we really want to be healing agents in this in this world, we've got to be fed and watered and rested. I mean it's so basic. We just cannot go into these work environments depleted in any way. We just can't. And and that's that's all I have to say on that. Really, I mean it's it's um, we we don't and even kids in high school and in, in grade school they don't have any skills on on human psychology and ha- and how we work and how to how to deal with the bully and how to not take things personally. That is a skill set that we can learn to say this person I have, this has nothing to do with me whatever this person is doing or saying uh, and not get all reactive. And so I I love the idea of us getting like sort of modernizing our skill sets
1: yes yes and it really is like you know your book choosing wellness i think the word choosing it's a choice so what choices are we making in our lives and i want to get into this book Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write this wonderful book
2: well it was a hard thing for sure because it's very personal um and and i i want to just say that anyone listening like when when you're Uh, company or health system says, oh, we're going to do a resiliency program. I often feel like it's code for, we want you to do more with less, you know, and I don't, that's not what this is about, but it's really a very personal journey into my own swan dive into a very dark place as a nurse, not doing any of the things I was telling my patients to do. And so for me, it was this kind of lack of integrity that I had. I felt like I didn't I had no business telling people what to eat or how to move their bodies when I wasn't doing it myself. So I really feel like we, we ought to, we could uh, get in alignment with what our business is in healthcare. We're talking about it from morning until night, all day long that we're pursuing it ourselves. So it's, it's my own personal story about going from a really unhealthy person, lots of trauma in my background and, and kind of finding a way out of that. And, and I believe that people are being traumatized by working in healthcare right now. I mean, this is so painful and difficult to watch. So we have to start treating trauma like appendicitis,
0: um, mm-hmm. that,
2: that oftentimes people will think that they have many, many problems, you know, that they, they ruminate and they drink too much and they're eating too much sugar and all that. But they may just have one problem, which is unresolved trauma, unrecognized, unprocessed trauma. Mm. Yes. Treating trauma, but in order to
1: treat it, you have to acknowledge it, right? And, and I think that that's the whole thing. Like you know, people slowing down to figure out what is going on with me, and I think that's the hardest thing because people have past traumas that you know things that they're experiencing now. It, it's bringing that up, so it's more trauma and just more trauma. Right. Um,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's that is wow. Mm.
1: Yeah. And so and I think a lot
2: it, of the book is about, you know, know thyself. Like I had to just start getting quiet and like figuring out even what I needed. Like if I was cold, do I need a sweater? I didn't know when I was hungry. I just I was so disconnected from my body. Right. So I had to learn how to just understand and get curious about myself and what was going on with me. And I just know I'm, I'm you know, at my age, and wherever I am in life, I can't show up to anything depleted. I just that's unacceptable to me now to not be um, generous, like what, you know, what are my values? And one of the big ones is, is generosity. So I want to have a generous heart. And when I'm exhausted and I'm eating garbage and, um, you know, not moving my body, I don't show up. Well, that's, it's a simple, it's very simple, but the, but the trauma treatment is not, I mean, it's really about asking about what people um, you know, what happened to you, right? What's going on with you and how might, what happened in the past, is that showing up for you now? And it's highly individualized, but it's just some questions and being a good listener and caring about what what's going on with people, and we just don't see that energy in the workplace at all. No, not at all.
1: Um, and, and in your book, you talk about your inner critic, which is I love that's my favorite topic. Can you talk to
2: us a little bit about that chapter? Yeah, and that's again getting to know yourself, and we all everyone has one. But for many many decades of my life, my inner critic was driving the bus. And so I'm from New Jersey. And I like to think of the metaphor as, okay, you're, you're going to not drive the bus. I'm putting some duct tape around your mouth and you're going in the trunk. Um, and so you're there, but you're muffled. And so what happens to me is I, what I notice when I'm about to do something brave or different or hard or difficult, I start to, that voice gets really loud. And I, I recognize whose it is from my childhood. Who do you think you are? too big for your britches, all of that. And so it makes me want to be small. So I have got to really interact with that inner critic. It's not shut it down completely, but to say, oh, there's that voice again, very familiar, very old. And we're not, we're, you know, it's like a toddler and I'm just going to steer it towards the trunk and say, you're going to go in here for now and quiet down. So I'm not, I'm not pushing it down. I'm not burrowing it and pretending it's not there. I'm engaging with it. And that's been such a game changer, just being aware. There's that really negative voice speaking to me in a way that I would never talk to anybody else you know, in that way and say those words. So that inner dialogue, and, and, and that's the mental health piece of it, is really understanding how are you talking to yourself? How are you showing up for yourself?
1: Yeah, and that inner critic really prevents you from, like I always say, showing up in the world the way you want to be seen, right? So you said you play small, and if you're playing small, you can't have the impact that you have, so that's why it's so important to you know get your inner critic under control. One acknowledging, so it's all about awareness. Um, what was your favorite chapter? I know this is about you, but what what chapter yes, do you really think, enjoy I writing? Ch- and Why? <laughs> I you
2: know, it was sort of a parenting one. Is it's um there's there's definitely one that was the most cringy. This is not the most cringy, although listeners might think it is. When I was taking a parenting class on anger and parenting, right? And so I had a lot of anger problems growing up you know, in an alcoholic home and uh, rage really. And so I couldn't understand why my son was um, making me really angry at night. He wouldn't go to bed. And so I was taking this class. They had us do a worksheet on a common anger problem and it just kept going down. Like, why are you angry? Why, why does it match the situation? No. Cause it was more like rage. It didn't match the situation. So I put the worksheet down and I went to bed and then a few hours later, I bolted upright in bed, Wendy. And I just realized, oh, my God, I'm jealous of my son. He's eight years old <laughs> and I recognized envy and and that he had. So, so the best thing I could come with was, first of all, a really ugly thing to see that things came really easy to him. You know, he would just be on all the sports team. He was a great athlete. He was smart. He didn't actually try very hard. All these things came to him. And then really what it was that, you know, he also he had a mom like me. That was sort of tuned in emotionally. So that was how the healing part of it was that I had to, and if I couldn't see that, that would have just gone on for decades, you know, for decades. And the fact that I grabbed a hold of that that core root, and then I realized my mother was jealous of me. Her mother, there was all this conflict. I might've gone back 10 generations and saw... (laughs) Uh, you know, this ugly thing and without seeing it, you can't really work with it. So that's my favorite chapter. That was the the biggest aha, sudden um, molting, you know, that I had. And and a lot of the other stories in the book are are slower and and more painful. They didn't just happen like sitting upright in bed. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. So what I'm
1: hearing from you, what what is very constant is self-awareness.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think that just, yeah, waking up, and and being aware of, of our mental state and, and, and our physical state because they're so connected and not ignoring it. I mean, I, you know, I think what we often do is we just stuff our feelings down. You know, that's often what, what leads to burnout and disengagement at work is that we're doing it to protect ourselves, you know? And so we're just stuffing feelings down and they come out. The way emotions work, it's going to come out and get you. It'll come out sideways. We're reaching for the Oreos or we're snapping at someone we love or... We're binging on TV for 10 hours when we've got other things to do. Like we're just numbing and we don't get to decide what end of the spectrum we numb. And so I see so much numbing going on in this pandemic and this and this. So if anyone is out there listening and you're suffering what I call it over deployment, I don't like the word burnout, but it's, you know, when you feel disengaged, you feel exhausted, even after a good night's sleep and a vacation, and you you feel like when well, no matter what you do it doesn't matter it doesn't make a difference those are really uh, the the three pillars of burnout and they're really really bad for you they they really are because you have to turn off who you are to walk in that door you have to turn off you know all the things that make you come alive and there's a there's a deadening inside and mm-hmm. so I I really believe Wendy I always want to just be hopeful about this that I think that there is a solution to any problem. There really is a solution to any problem when we focus on it, when we pay attention to it, even if it means accepting the problem. If you've got a loved one battling with an addiction there, the solution to that problem is to stop fighting it and to accept it. We don't have to like it, you know, and so I, I always take my um, inspiration from a lot of comedians. Um, who are the truth tellers? I feel like uh, in this society. And Jerry Seinfeld, you know, was was you know a little kid and uh, 10, 18 years old, working in New York City, and he was noticing that all the older comedians were doing their little shtick and then going to get drunk with the money. And he was like, "How do you build a career from this? I don't understand." And he realized that actually being a comedian is being a writer. So he just started writing like 15 minutes a day, every day of his life, just 15 minutes. And most of it isn't usable. But the idea that there's a solution to every problem by having a system, something in place that that you can put in place to solve that problem. And when we focus on solving that problem and it might be leaving the job, hopefully it's not leaving nursing. There's so many things we can do. I mean, look what the two of us are doing, right? Um, I am a registered nurse, a nurse practitioner with a PhD, and I am running a school of wellness because there was no such thing. There was no place to send people that were stuck in self-defeating behavior. So, so I know that we need to be much more entrepreneurial and thinking outside the box. And how can we go right to the people where they are hurting and, and meet their needs directly and jump over this sclerotic, ossified healthcare system? Yes. Now, tell us a little more about your school that you. Well, so I just realized, I was thinking about, I, I remember sending people to like psych, you know, if they were gaining and gaining weight, going deeper and deeper into metabolic syndrome, and there was no place to send them. So it's like, you know, build what you need. And mm-hmm. so um, it's, it's virtual. And I, I, I was thinking about buying, a, a, getting a bricks and mortar place, but um, I have been in, I think, every state in the country during the pandemic doing webinars for all kinds of organizations, everything you can think of. And the idea here is that why do we have to wait till you're in an ICU to see a really smart nurse? I wanted to go upstream and in the workplace and talk about, uh, I mean, resiliency and how and what we can do that these really basic things so that we don't go down and get sick just from living our lives. Um, And so I wanted to build something where people could, before they got sick, right? Because we have this perverse healthcare system It'll pay for the $30,000 cabbage, but not the, you know, um, nutrition console 10 years before the heart disease sets in. So what we're dying of are, you know, illness of, of distress, the diseases of despair. That's what is really, you know, cardiovascular disease, 13 kinds of cancer. It's all related to our lifestyle. And we just don't have an infrastructure for that in a 15-minute office visit. We just don't. So so I work with people. Um, I do individual coaching and lots of webinars and group things. And I help people, you know, uh, if they want to lose a hundred pounds, if they need to figure out a career change, whatever that is, whatever is troubling them. And I use a coaching method and I don't give a lot of advice, but I excavate the truth from individual people. And that's how I work is that I had to unlearn many of the things I learned in nursing to be a coach we don't yeah well we don't that's that. the
1: thing people have the answer they do so, i tell people that you know all the nurses uh you know who i work with in the, the mentorship you have the answer I, i'm not really sprinkling any fairy dust but it's yeah. really just you know moving through all of that stuff whatever that is so you can yeah. actually see and feel and live out the answer so they have the answer so I, I love that about coaching as well that's one reason i became a coach as well so it's not telling people it's really helping them discover the answer that they yeah,
2: have yeah and like a big question often is like what's the fear you know what are you afraid of because that's what's you know that inner critic again is getting loud and we're not aware of it and we just we just listen to it and and really getting specific about what the fear is is the is the game changer now, for someone who's listening,
1: who's feeling burnt out, stress, what's one thing they could do today to help move them forward?
2: Well, I guess, you know, creating some white space in their life, like maybe creating a don't list. When you're overdeployed, you're often and if you're feeling any resentment about anybody or anything, you're doing too much. That's what I have come to. There's not many things I'm certain about, but you can actually live a resentment free life. That is a very corrosive emotion to feel. And so you know, look at where you're feeling resentful and, and back, back off. Um, if you don't want to make dinner every night, if you're stuck cleaning the house, working full time and the kids are on video games, you know, they might need some training, but you're doing too much. So create a don't list.
1: Nice. Thank you so much. And where can people go to connect with you before we get into our rapid fire?
2: Okay, EileenO'Grady um, um, dot net is my webpage, and I have a blog I send out less than once a month, and um, it's pretty edgy. People really like it. It's very short. <clears throat> awesome! We'll have to wellness have you pearl. back. I'm sorry. Say that again. It's a well. It's called a wellness pearl, and so okay. it's a short little reminder. Like one of them was on dealing with a holes and difficult people. That was very popular. Oh, I
1: have cool. to read that one. <laughs> I have to read that one. So can I take you through a quick rapid fire? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Wellness means? Wholeness. I know I'm stressed when? My throat tightens. My go-to stress management solution is? Yoga.
2: The last book I read was? Well, the one that I loved that I read in two days, cover to cover, was Atlas of the Heart by Renee Brown. Ah, yes. Yes. That's
1: a really good book. Yeah. Yes. And my last question for you is one thing I learned about myself during this pandemic is,
2: um, I, I learned that I, um, I know I, I'm very subject to other people, you know, there's that emotional contagion. And I learned that I don't want to do that anymore, <laughs> that I want to be an independent agent of other people's energy or moods. And, um, I didn't see that, but just because, you know, with some of the same people all the time or whatever, um, that I, that was, that was a big revelation for me and and a practice I'm working on is being more independent of other people's moods.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so (laughs) much for being here. We will definitely have to have you back and continue this conversation. Thank you, Wendy.
2: It was great to be here. You're a national treasure. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Between episodes, you can follow the Nurse Wellness Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Before you go, I would love to share a free mindfulness ebook with you. Go to stressblueprint.com backslash 35 and download your free copy. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best.
0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.